We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Pack a Day podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. We are a day later this week, but the Packers are also a day later this week, playing on Monday. So I am still incredibly excited to be talking with Mike Wall on this Friday as we talk, Saturday, Saturday as you are watching this. Um, Mike, it has been a couple weeks since the Packers have played. We're getting ready for Packers Rams. Uh, we've got a couple interesting topics to discuss, but to kick things off, how the heck are you doing? Just happy to talk to you on this Friday afternoon, Andy. Hope you're doing well. Doing great. Uh, the, the other big question is, do you have all your holiday shopping done? No, but I'm a big Amazon guy. Uh, I'll probably take, so I've got everything that I need to get on Amazon now, and I'll probably take the family. There's like a little district shopping area here. I probably take them this weekend and get some some last minute things, but I'm a big Amazon guy. So assuming everything gets here on time with Amazon, which they're usually pretty good about it. I feel good that uh, I'll hit, I'll hit all the deadlines I need to hit. Same here. That's, that's kind of exactly where I'm at. The little, uh, before Christmas on Amazon is a lifesaver. So uh, that's been huge. All right, we've got a lot to talk about, though. I want to start off with an article that was published on Friday on The Athletic. 
uh, Kalen Kaler uh, wrote an article that basically discussed how it's difficult for rookie receivers to come in and play within this Packers offense or specifically kind of under Aaron Rodgers. I want to actually go back to a couple years ago, an article that Ty Dunn wrote. Um, it was an MVS article, um, but one of the, the pieces or quotes that was in that article, um, this was from MVS, said, quote, there are two separate playbooks. There's the one we get written down, and then there's the one that Aaron has. It's not an easy thing to come in and play right away. So that was a couple years ago, MVS, in an article from Ty, Ty Dunn. And this article from Kalen Kaler, this is from Sammy Watkins, now a more veteran wide receiver, obviously. He says, quote, there are two offenses in one at play in Green Bay. Matt LaFleur's scheme and all the tiny details Rodgers wants executed to perfection, whether it's an angle, yardage, eye, head, or tempo. So there's a few things I want to get into in this article, but I kind of want to start with those two things that have now been said in separate articles by separate wide receivers. I know sometimes, uh, you know, I know what, like in the blurb that was shared on Twitter, it was an Amari Rogers quote. So I think people that didn't write the article are like, Oh, Amari Rogers is bitter. And obviously this is why some of this stuff is coming out in the past. It's always been the Jermichael Finley, the Greg Jennings, or there's always been some sort of, but like, this is MBS, a player at the time who was heavily involved in the offense when the article was written. And this was Sammy Watkins, who is now currently on the team with Aaron. Um, so I want to start with those two quotes, two separate offenses, the LaFleur offense and the Rodgers offense. What did you take away from that? Um, I, I take what you take away from it, I think, is just if we're talking about those specific quotes, I just my mind immediately goes to Peyton Manning and some of the really, really meticulous, great quarterbacks of all time. And they're going to have all these little adjustments you can make at the line of scrimmage. That's part of the offense. And so when you say it's a separate offense, I think it's like, it's easy for inconvenient for us to just discuss it that way. But the truth is you, you know, here's the way an offense operates. You have a scheme that has been designed usually by the head coach or offensive coordinator. And you have, then you start having different calls and adjustments you can make to every situation, depending on the defense, depending on the personnel group, et cetera, right? The, uh, depending on, you know, the down and distance. And what Aaron has done over the course of however many years in the league now is he has continued to kind of build that base and he started doing it with Mike McCarthy. And we all know that Mike, we all know that Aaron Rodgers didn't think Mike McCarthy's, McCarthy's offense was very good in kind of the 2010s on after they won the Super Bowl, a guy kind of stagnant. So he was out there freelancing a lot. He was given the liberty to do that. He's the smartest guy in the room. So it's hard to question his judgment when he's making decisions. And so he built this thing up. And he has all these little hand gestures and all these things, all these expectations for his, his receivers. Um, and then, you know, with Matt LaFleur comes in, he's a young coach. I mean, I don't think – let's not say he was lucky to get the job, but there's other candidates for the job as well. He's walking into a situation with a multi-year MVP, first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback. Like, this is a, this is a very, very good job for a head coach yep. that's looking at his first his first deal. He's, he just was the offensive quarter of the Tennessee Titans. He doesn't have a lot of leadership experience. Like this was a great opportunity, but there's some things that are going to come along with that. And one of them is like, we all, Aaron makes 10 times as much money as he does. He, he accounts for like how many commas and zeros and paychecks for all the people that run the building. We've talked about this before. So the guy runs the show. I just think it's an explanation of like, this is, there's so much, there's so much that's interesting about this, right? Like it's not that he has a separate offense. It's not that it's difficult to learn. The two things that are like super interesting are one, he's he, they're not willing to just close the offense to receivers until they're actually on the team. Like during training camp, it sounds like they don't they don't give it to them. Right. So you know the number one thing is you can see how Aaron Rodgers, through 
getting passed over in the first pick in the draft, getting drafted or excuse me, working for a guy that passed him over later on for years, thinking that guy's incompetent and running an offense at the level he wants to run it in. Like having all these chips on his shoulders. What does that do to guys that are super motivated? They have extremely high standards for themselves. And that's what Aaron Rodgers has. Aaron Rodgers has extremely high standards for the operation of his offense. What's interesting is, and I think what's difficult with Aaron is that he is unwavering in his ability to um, or be willing to help some of these guys along the way, depending on their age, depending on their experience. And it's like we were talking about before, Marcus Aurelius has a great quote. It's be tolerant with others, strict with yourself. And that is one of the hardest. I can just tell you firsthand, I had the same problem in Carolina. That is one of the hardest things that really, really competitive people have to deal with is that the standards that you have for yourself seem normal to you, but they might not seem normal to everybody else. So when you hear these people talking about, oh, there's two offenses, Aaron Rodgers is like, no, there's not. There's my offense, right? Right. I've just adjusted it for Matt LaFleur, and they just don't see it that way, and he has a hard time. The other thing that's super interesting, Andy, I know I'm talking a lot here, but the other okay. thing that's really, really interesting to me, bro, is you hear all these guys talking about this, and if you read that article, if you're in the offensive line room and there's adjustment and calls to be made, I don't care if you're my backup or what, dude, I'm helping you from day one. And the fact that the fact that there's been like almost institutionalized this idea that this, you know, because there's always been receivers, like older receivers in the room as Aaron was coming up and these new guys come and have a chance to learn. But it doesn't say anywhere in that article that like, we're going to just start day one and help you with all these hand signals. We're going to quiz you after practice. So you don't look like a fool on this Saturday hand signal meeting that you have the quarterbacks. Like what's what was really interesting to me is, and it kind of shows you the dynamic of the national football league is some position groups, some players, they're not really that excited about helping out the young guys coming up until until they reach these certain milestones. I thought that was really weird given the fact that this is a difficult offense to pick up on. That was one of the surprising things to me as well. And I kind of, I almost want to dig into that more because there's a part in the article where it says, you know, how uncomfortable the players are. Equinemia St. Brown was quoted. There were a couple uh, Chris Blair was quoted, uh, who was just kind of a practice squad guy, but um, there were these, you know, it, it was very uncomfortable for them to be in front of the team and getting quizzed on the different hand signals that could come up. And it was in the article, it sounded like nobody gave a number, but it was around 30 different hand signals that could come up at any given moment. It also in both articles in Ty Don's article and in Kalen Kaler's uh, it sounded like there would be times where there would be a hand signal from like six years ago when some of these guys were still in high school that would come up from time to time. It seems to me, and maybe I'm naive and I will be blatantly obvious. I have never been uh, anywhere close to an NFL locker room when this stuff is going on. Uh, but it seems to me that it's in your best interest if everyone's on the same page and everyone's kind of helping each other to get to that point. And I understand that if, if you're Aaron Rodgers and you come into mini camp OTAs training camp and there's like 20 wide receivers there, like I, like there's no way you're going to go over everything with all those guys and make sure I get a million percent get that. But as soon as that roster cut down happens and there's five or six guys in that offensive room to me, it is the leader's responsibility and the coach's responsibility on the team to make sure not necessarily that the wide receivers are, you know, have a PhD in everything that they need to know, but that when we play X team on Sunday, that I know that if I do this hand signal, that everyone is going to know exactly what it means and is on the same page. And I, this is just me and you feel free to refute this. I've been in, 
I always hate when people compare like an office job to like being a quarterback in the NFL. It's the stupidest thing. It's very similar. It's actually very similar. So go ahead. Okay. So I've been in leadership positions in different aspects of my life. I've been in coaching positions. I've been in all to me, I always wanted to put, if I had new people around me, if I had younger people around me, less experienced people around me, I wanted to put the onus on me of like, here's, I'm going to set the bar. I want to set the expectation, but I want the onus to be on me to make things as easy as possible for these players so that they can go out and have confidence and perform well in their given job. Now that doesn't last forever. Like once the training wheels are off and they, there's going to be a certain expectation and level setting as you sort of go along. But at the beginning, at the onset, when these players are just getting, or these people are just getting their, their feet underneath them. I I want the pressure. I, that's on me. I'm the leader. I'm the one that's getting paid more. I want to be the one that's bringing these people up to get to that level. Now at some point it's sink or swim, right? And if they don't swim, then it's on them. I can only, I can only show them the door. They have to open it and walk through it. But I do wonder how much is like, if, if Rogers is just, and I, again, I don't know this for a fact, but if Rogers is just level setting and saying, my, my standard is here, it is up to the rest of you to get to that standard. I'm just going to lead by example to me that that's, that's not good enough. And again, I don't know that that's a million percent what happens, but that's some of the takeaway that I get from some of these articles. It, it sounds like, you know, what you're saying is like, you ever heard, you know, Jocko Wilnick and the Navy SEALs and ultimate accountability, you know, the accountability is ultimately with the leader, no matter what. And he's, I mean, Jocko's got some incredible TED Talks and whatnot, and he's got some books that he's written that, that kind of go through this. And But, you know, ultimately you are responsible for the entire group if you're the leader of the group. But um, <clears throat> the only pushback I would say, because I agree with you. No, please. Is that. If I'm, you got to understand how these rooms are, 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 you know, so you go to, you go to your team room, you go to your offensive coordinator room, the quarterbacks go to their room, the wide receivers go to their room, offensive, okay. So if like, let's, let's just put it on the offensive line, just because it's easier for me to talk about. If, if I'm in the offensive line room and there's, and there's checks and there's hand signals and there's, and there's nuanced things that I'm going to say to Chad Clifton on my left or right, or Mike Flanagan on my right, that might mean something. You can be sure that we are going to address that. You can be sure that the coach is going to address that. Sure. And so the thing the thing that is a little bit demoralizing, I think, if you're reading this and you're in a position of authority in the Green Bay Packers, is it's like you're almost it's almost subversive in the way that you are undermining what's going on and from a big picture standpoint, because the coaches don't have a list of what the hell they're supposed to be doing either. And yeah. that to me and even if Aaron said, or even if Donald Driver had written them all out, or Ferguson, one of these, you know, or, or Jordy had had written these out and given to the coach at some point, and be like, put this in a vault. Week one of the season, you're gonna have to pull this out and teach everybody, right? Like, there's a time and a place, and yep. we don't need to teach every guy. But the fact that that doesn't happen, that hasn't been demanded, that's where it's a little bit for me. You know, again, I go back to. Aaron, what's Aaron's responsibility? Aaron's responsibility is to apparently understand how he's going to work his offense in the scheme during that week, right? Communicate that with communicate with his receivers, communicate with the offensive line, et cetera, et cetera. Like he's got the fullest plate of anybody. And so with this stuff, although it's very important, although it's very easy to say, like maybe Aaron should have a session where he's actually teaching this stuff every week, I would just say, because I know the way that these these things work you would think that a leader of somebody in a leadership position in the, in the wide receiver room, be it a player, probably a player, 
but at least for one session a week, a coach, whether it's on a Tuesday or a Saturday, you need to be able to go over these things. And if you don't have the information, it points, we've talked a lot about culture. It points to a larger problem when this kind of stuff is happening. And that was one of the other key takeaways that I had from this article. And this was another quote. And this is, again, was from Chris Blair. Um, Blair said that when watching film in Green Bay, coaches would sometimes think a receiver ran the wrong route, but we would be able to show them like, no, Aaron showed us the signal. Like to me, that is, that is a issue. If your wide receiver coach that's going into the film room with the wide receiver on Monday or when, you know, when they're watching the film together is like, Hey, you ran the wrong route on this play. And he has to be the one that's like, no, Aaron did th this, whatever it was. And so that's why I ran this route. And then it's like, if I'm a coach and like, man, what am I supposed to do? Like, I don't even know. Yeah. Like, I, I looked stupid because I don't know what the quarterback is doing at the line of scrimmage, but I haven't been given access to that information. Like that just seems very, very messy. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. That's, that's, that's the crux of the problem to me is that there's a lack of communication at every single level uh, with, you know, it's Aaron's, again, Aaron's offense, Matt's scheme, however, however you want to word that. That's ultimately what it's been. We've talked about it for, for months on this show. And, um, it, it does become, I don't think it becomes a problem in the sense that, you know, the co it's very easy for a coach. Like if, for example, if, if at any position blocking anything, if you, if you have a different read, if you see something, you know, and this is why, like, why did you do this? Oh, because this happened. Those explanations are very easy and the coach can just move on. But, but as a professional who wants to know every detail of what he's trying to convey to his room, because like this coach has, you know, if you're the wide receivers coach, you have probably a goal of being a coordinator or a head coach at some point. And so you want to know you want, first of all, you want to be the most detailed, best coach you can be. And you want to know as much information as you can, because it's going to help you do your job better so you can get promoted, but also so you can help these guys get paid. And you're not able to do that in this situation. I think, again, that's what comes across for me as like the crux of the problem. How can you withhold information that's so vital to the offense? And how is nobody holding him accountable to doing that? It's like money doesn't matter at this point. As far as I don't care what your paycheck is, man, you still have to be responsible to the entire group and you're not here. The other question, I, I have a couple other questions I want to ask you, but the, the next one I wanted to get to is at, at some point is there, this is probably the, slightly the wrong term, but like a paralysis by analysis. Is there, is there too much that now we've seen when you've got two players that have a PhD and are on the same wavelength, like Rogers and Jordy Rogers and Devante, like that stuff is magical and being able to signal and do all this stuff at the line of scrimmage, like that is a ultimate cheat code. And there's so much value in that. Um, at the same time, if not everyone on the offense is able to get on the same page at some point, you know, Rogers mentioned earlier this season that we need to simplify the offense. Is there something that, you know, not only just from like the plays that are being called, but for how much stuff goes on at the line of scrimmage, for how many hand signals there are. It's tough because, again, you want Rodgers to have that autonomy. That is one of the, the great abilities that anyone has in this league is what he can do at the line of scrimmage. But if it's if, if everyone's not on the same page or everyone's not able to be at that level and players aren't going out and just playing confident because they have to think so much of like, all right, what am I exactly supposed to do on that on that play? Like, I, I don't even know the right question to ask, but is, is can that be a problem? The question is – you. The question is, can you be the best version of yourself? Can you enter into flow state during a game? The right. Flow states where, you know, the highest version of yourself athletically. Can you do that if you're constantly worried about not understanding what hand signal he just, he just pushed out? And the answer is no, you can't. Um, 
when you think about the advantage that you have when you can communicate at that level compared to everybody else, you are certainly on a different plane. And we've seen that from Devante. Now we have, now you probably, this article probably sheds light on how much more advanced Devante was than everybody else at this little thing, right? Insane, no. Again, to me, it goes back to you have to be tolerant with other with others and you strict with yourself. Like you're holding yourself to the standard. The hardest part here is that some of these receivers especially young guys have never been in this environment where they need to put in as much time as they need to put in in order to get this right. They don't know what they don't know. They're unconscious of competence and they don't have anybody teaching them. They're just kind of like, Oh, pick it up. It's like, what is that? That Pick it up. I'll go home and study, but give me something to study from. Right. And the other, but the other part of it is honestly, from a coaching standpoint, this is what I, this is what I, when I read the article, this is what I can't get over. If I if my room has responsibilities to know some information and they don't know it, I am going to fight like and claw and scratch like hell. Like you will not believe to get that information. I'm going to do everything I can and hold myself accountable for my players to make sure that information is conveyed. And if it's not, I'm going to find a way to do it. And the fact that it is not even a part of the preparation material is that's a it's just it's just very hard to operate year to year that way, man. It's just very very difficult to operate at, at any level of this. It's very and, difficult. And I think we've seen some of that this year, especially without a Devonte Adams on the roster that does have that, you know, PhD in Aaron Rodgers system. The last thing I wanted to ask you about this is there was some talk in this article again about the difficulty in approaching Aaron Rodgers for some of the younger players. You played with an MVP quarterback in Brett Favre. Maybe, you know, I'm not saying that necessarily Brett and Aaron are exactly the same, but um, how, how difficult is something like that to strike up a conversation with an MVP quarterback that's just seemingly on another plane? This is the part where this is like, this is a generational, and this is kind of part of the issue too, right? But he's talking talk about the coach, you go back to it a little bit, but generationally this, this, you know, this, um, generation everybody's special nobody wants to get their feelings hurt everybody's unique and it's and we're going to hold people on a pedestal and dude aaron Rodgers is trying to win football games if you got a question go ask him right if you got a problem with, if you got a problem with the way he looks and your feelings hurt you're getting paid a lot of money to to play a game that you love to play that you want to play since you were six and get your ass over there and ask him a question give me a break like that stuff for me i have no time for you know if you're not curious about it if you're if you're oh it's you know i'm intimidated Go find something else to do. That doesn't make any sense to me. There's there's plenty of other jobs where you don't, you can kind of sit in your cubicle and ask ask any questions. You want to go be a player in this league? Like you got to suck it up a little bit and 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 stop thinking about everybody as being so important. And to be fair to Aaron, there have been other articles that have basically said the opposite of how Aaron can be approachable. I know there was a story earlier this year of Devontae Wyatt going in the uh, lunchroom and just sitting right next to Aaron and striking up a conversation with him. And they said that, you know, he said they had a great conversation. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't think it's, it's just Aaron. Like you said, I think there's, there's two sides of the coin there. Um, so, but yeah, it was just definitely curious. And I, I, I lean more towards your side of things there as well. I think if you have questions, you just got to go ask and um, yeah, you just kind of got to suck it up and do it. All right, we've also got a game to discuss this week. We've got Packers-Rams. I know you've started breaking down the film a little bit. Rams get the comeback win with uh, the Baker-Mayfield-led Sean McVay offense. Uh, what are your take on the uh, Los Angeles Rams and what Green Bay can do to win this game? 
The the Rams, well, let's start with Baker. I mean, B- Baker adds an element that Matthew Stafford and the rest of those guys didn't have because he can escape the pocket. He can, he can throw on the run. He, he kind of gives them that option. So Baker operates really well in this. First of all, Sean McVay's a genius. He, he, I know Baker was with Kevin Stefanski, but you have multiple offensive coordinators. You've been shipped around now a couple different times. You get a little bit beat up, and you you get to you know, you land in the lap of probably the smartest guy in the room, right? Not named Kyle Shanahan. So right. I think that right there, he's just going to automatically be better. All the pre-snap stuff that he gets to hear in his in his in his earpiece is just going to be that much more information for him. Baker operates really well under center, whether it's handing off the ball, play action pass, keep passes, etc. So you're just going to expect to see a lot of that. The Green Bay Packers are going to have to be able to shut down their running game, which, to be fair, is is not very good. Their offensive line can run block a little bit. They're not great. Cam Akers doesn't hit the hole like he used to before his injury. The rookie from Notre Dame is actually playing pretty well at the running back position, but you look at everything else they've got going for themselves. It's all got to be built off something. It's with Baker. It's probably going to be built off that under center play action pass game. They do a good job of sucking in linebackers and whatnot. Van Jefferson's still, you know, he's a he's a high level player, son of, son of an NFL uh, coach and, and ex player, Sean Jefferson. Sean Jay's the goat man. So Van's got his stuff down, but they're playing with a couple backups. Cooper's off. Or Cooper Cups out. Actually, you know, uh, as we all know, and if you can shut down the run game you're going to probably see the old Baker Mayfield when he has to get back in shotgun and start making decisions and not being as confident. The other thing you're going to be able to do here, and we saw it a little bit with the Raiders, is if you want to move your defensive ends around, if you want to give them a couple different looks kind of during motion and whatnot, Baker's not in a position right now most likely to be able to make it, you know, turn a bad play into a good play through an audible or a change at the line of scrimmage. So you're going to get some built-in wins there. So it's like capitalize on the built-in wins, stop the running game, and then be able to attack because they really have one good receiver. I know I like Atwell a little bit, but you're talking about like guys who can make a difference in a game. Probably Van Jefferson. Tyler Higby's been a good a good tight end, but you know you just don't see the offensive fire firepower there. And then you know really defensively, man, they've been great against the run. Um, Bobby Wagner's having another great year. It's like you, you look at Seattle and go, Dude, why did you get rid of that guy? Like he's right. he's, nail, he's nails. Um, I know Jalen Ramsey's not having a good season, but I mean by his standards, but but he's he's still an exceptional player. He's one of those quarterbacks who can do everything. He's a five-tool guy. He can tackle the line of scrimmage. I would attack Troy Hill as much as possible on the edges and make that guy tackle, especially against a kid like AJ Dillon. Like I just don't think he's up for it. I'd check his whole card as often as possible. Really, this is going to come down to. Is Aaron Donald going to play on Monday night or not? Right. Because if Aaron Donald plays, man, the whole game plan is different. Because right now they're playing like four four out of their five guys on the line of scrimmage are run stoppers, right? 97, Michael Hawk out at the end. They're playing him DN. They talked about it at length in that game. Like he can't – there's there's not a lot he can do out there from a pass rush standpoint. He can't change direction. They ran a ton of end rounds and, and flip, you know, flip passes against him. But if Aaron Donald's in the game, they all of a sudden have their pass rush back. They all of a sudden have even more, you know, tackles for loss behind the line of scrimmage in the running game. Like the whole thing changes. So it'll be interesting to see what version of them we get. And then if the Packers can kind of work around what is, in my opinion, the best defensive player I've ever seen. Yeah. If Donald plays, that changes everything. Offensively, I feel like when you get a new quarterback like that, it's kind of getting like an interim head coach for a week where you kind of get a week of like energy and then like things usually kind of regress back to the mean a little bit. So I'm kind of expecting that Rams offense to regress back a little bit. I know last time Baker played in Green Bay, was that just last year that he threw four picks or was that the year before? I don't know. Either way. The Cleveland game. Yeah. Yeah. uh, I think it was last year. 
Yeah, man, time flies. But uh, yeah, so you know, hopefully we see that version of Baker Mayfield and not the one that's leading 98-yard comeback touchdown drives at the end of the game. But uh, I do think, like you said, it, Donald plays a huge part in this. I'm curious, would you, if you were uh, you know, calling the plays in this one, you want to lean more on the run attack this Rams defense, or do you want to you know, try to attack those corners a little bit more? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. They're better against the run. I mean, they're I think the I think opposing teams are like 68% completion percentage against the Rams right now. So you can throw yeah. the ball, you can throw the ball effectively. The problem is we're 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 in this what what week is it and you know it's like except for the fourth quarter of the bears game you're still trying to scratch your head trying to figure out what kind of offense they're going to create and our two best you know our two best options in aj and and aaron jones still aren't getting the ball honestly as much as they probably should and i just don't the formula for success seems pretty obvious when you look at the hours and hours of tape that they've ran but what happens is every once in a while you'll get a glitch in the matrix and Watson will beat somebody deep or he goes for the end around. You go, Oh, that's our offense. It's like, no, where does that come off of whatever you do to create that defense against that? Look, that's your offense. Right. And you run those plays. Right. And so for me, it's like, you got to lean heavily or at least show that you're going to be, you're willing to run the, run the ball and create formations of personnel groupings that force them to bring that safety up. They love to run too deep. I mean, they're, they're running the same defense they did last year where it's like Ben, but no break. They'll run a lot of shell defense. They'll rotate safeties every once in a while late. But they'll run two, two man, six, I mean, nine. They're going to play some sort of shell coverage. They're going to give you an opportunity to run. Their linebackers really attack the line of scrimmage. So Bobby Wagner, like as good as Bobby is, Bobby's run first linebacker. So play action passes, under center stuff, but that works against these guys. The Raiders did it all night. And it's just a question of like, you. but you have to prove that you're willing to run the ball. Otherwise, they'll just sit back. The guys are too smart. 
I think we'll see at, at minimum two of the plays where Rodgers does a quick fake handoff and it's a, like a skinny post or a little slant right behind it. And he immediately turns around and fires it as the linebackers are sucked in. I think we'll see at minimum two of those. That, that, that's a play that like works almost every single time. Um, they don't run it a ton, but they try to get it usually at least once per game. Um, this is set to be played in cold weather, Monday night football, Lambeau Field. Rams obviously coming from L.A., does that play a factor at all, or is that just uh, you know media conversation prior to the game? It depends on the team that comes in. You know, it's from team to team. I we I talked about this yesterday. Like, it, it, I remember when I think we had never lost a game under twenty five or twenty six degrees or something. Right, there was that record that we had for years. We being teams of old, not certainly us because we blew it. But Michael Vick came in, and Atlanta came in the week one. And we beat we beat them on the 99G lead on the last our last drive of the game. Amon came in for a one yard touchdown, and we ended up beating them for the first game of the season. But it was like Michael Vick's coming out party. Everyone's like, "Oh my God, this guy's gonna be amazing!" Right? Right. And then I remember they came back that year, and we thought, "Oh, we're gonna beat the brakes off these guys because we just ran all over them in, the, in that first game." And usually in the cold weather, when you got like a weak minded team, a team with not great leadership, and, and they're just they're, they don't really want to be there. They're all kind of huddled around that, you know, the little jet yeah, that yeah. jet engine burner and they're burning their jackets and all that stuff, right? <laughs> when you look across the field and those dudes are just kind of hopping around with no shirt, no sleeves on and just kind of staring you right in the eye, it's like, oh, we got a problem now. And I remember Atlanta did that. And we always, because we had gone for years and years and years of just thinking like, and guys don't want to be here. They're huddled up in those jackets. We're over there laughing at them. I mean, literally on the sideline, like, look at them. Like, we're getting some amusement out of it. I remember we looked over at Atlanta and like Patrick Kearney, Rod Coleman, all those guys, they were just bouncing up and down, staring at us, like just talk, talking trash from across the field. And we're like, oh, this is going to be different, right? And they beat the tar out of us that day, man. So uh, I think it just depends on the mindset of those guys coming in. I was at that game in the stands and I still have <laughs> PTSD of trying to watch – Bless Hardy Nickerson, who had a phenomenal NFL career, uh, but he was at the the, the tail end of his tail career, end, yeah. to say the least. And watching Hardy Nickerson at the like I don't know thirty plus years, probably uh, how many injuries and whatever, uh, try to chase a prime Michael Vick who was running like I swear like a four one forty. It was uh, I still have bad flashbacks and memories from it, but that was a that was not a fun game to be at. But eh, sometimes that happens, I guess. All right, a couple last questions before we get out of here. Mike, the question everyone wants to know, can the Packers go 4-0 the rest of the way and make a run at this thing? I th- oh, yeah, they certainly can. Um, gosh. Let's start with this week, winning this game, which this is not – the problem is none of these games are gimmies with this team. This Rams game is going to be huge. You know, the Dolphins finally kind of look like a team that might be able to – like there's a recipe. Yeah. Right? And – I think they're going to bounce back and they're going to put some points on the board again, just because, you know, it's like, there's just two in conversation, but if you watch Tua, like he is accurate, like everything they say about him is true. He's accurate. He anticipates great. He throws a ton of balls that are like not thrown hard enough. He throws a ton of balls that are underthrown. He doesn't have a lot of velocity on his passes, but Tyree kill and Jalen Wall will make up for a lot of stuff because they're wide open by like okay. 15 yards when they were, it's, it's absurd. And given like, if I'm looking just even next week, I don't want to look ahead, but, you just think to yourself, with everything that's happened in our secondary, with communication, with Justin Jefferson did week one, what the hell do you think Tyreek Hill is going to do against us? And you know why? what I mean? Like, yeah, you think uh, Jalen Watt, like, do you, like, as as confident in himself as Jair Alexander is, as much like grandstanding as he does, do you think, like, 
I'm not sitting here going like, oh yeah, he's just going to shut down Tyree Kill. Like I don't feel that way at all. I don't know what's no. going to happen to that game. It, that's going to be a tough one. They're all winnable. If they get over the hump on that one, if, if let me tell you, let me say it this way: if if you're two and zero after next week in the last four, and you're looking down like we got to beat the Vikings, the Lions to go to the playoffs, like yeah, I'll probably put a bet down in Vegas. Like I, I would bet that they win those last two. But I think that Dolphins game is oh man, I think it's a tough game. If Rashawn Gary was still healthy. The Packers yeah. at this point would be like a sneaky fun. Like, I don't know what the odds are. I'm sure it's like astronomical or whatever, but like they'd be a sneaky fun Super Bowl bet. Um, not not that like one that's probably gonna pay off, but just like you do have Aaron Rodgers, you do have you know a couple explosive playmakers that haven't quite played together yet. The offensive line is actually gelled together uh pretty darn well lately, at least certainly better than they were in the regular season. You still have a pass rusher in Rashawn Gary. Kenny Clark, we know, is capable of so much more. You just got Campbell back. You still have Jair at corner, like maybe Amos can kind of get back. Like you, you still see sort of the pieces, but man, that Rashawn Gary injury just kills so it much. Kills us. It killed it, us, man. He was, he was so good. He, he just set everything up on defense. It's so hard to overcome that, but yeah, that, I'm, I'm sort of with you. If they can, if they can go two and on the next two and just see Minnesota and Detroit. Uh, although I did, I did tweet out uh, a while back. It would be so Green Bay if everything fell their way. They won all these games and then played Detroit at home in Week Seven or Week Eighteen, and you know couldn't get through that one. But we're not going to speak that into existence. Last question. We'll get out of here. Uh, this could be a real first opportunity. And I know Matt Lafleur just said on Thursday that you know they're going to temper expectations for Romeo Dobbs a little bit. Probably not going to play a full complement of snaps. Not that he has to if you've got. Cobb, uh, Lazard, Watson, and Dobbs all playing, but uh, this could still be our, our kind of our first real opportunity after the Christian Watson kind of breakout to see these two guys together. What's your expectations for those two together the remainder of the season? Well, I mean, given the, the way we started this conversation, it's, it's just that they continue to grow in this offense and, and, and learn more and be more comfortable and, and kind of have the playbook expanded so they can not only run the plays that are called, but also the nuanced things that happen at the line of scrimmage. You, it, what's I think what's been really good and what hey, fans I hope everybody appreciates with especially with Christian Watson is like how much how important confidence is because the kid it's you look at my paper you go oh yeah of course he's going to be good yeah but confidence is so fickle and it's so important for for elite level athletes everybody but at this level like if you don't have that confidence. I don't care how talented are you are, you're nothing. And if you do have it, there's it feels it literally feels like nobody can stop you. And right now, Christian Watson is probably beginning to believe. He's like Neo when he turns around in the subway station, and it's like, what's yeah. he doing? He's like, oh, he's beginning to believe, you know. And that's that's kind of where he is right now. And if you can get that going, that's why it's so important, you know. In my opinion, if you have if, regardless, if you if you are planning on bringing Aaron Rodgers back next year, man, you got to keep him in because you got to get these guys believing, and they got to hit. You got to finish the season regardless regardless of how you finish it record wise. You want those cats feeling like next year, man, it is going to be all kinds of problems on for everybody else's defense. Yeah, very excited about the future of those two with Aaron Rodgers. And like you said, even if there's the opportunity for those guys to get on the same page the remainder of the season, I think that's definitely a takeaway that you can still get from this year. Heck, Mike, maybe they can even add 10 more hand signals in before the end. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I wonder what – I wonder. I was just – when you said that, though, you think about it as so 30, right? So then you go, 
you go, okay, well, then what, what would be an acceptable number? Because then you go, okay, well, you're supposed to know seven numbers because of the, you know, like the phone number thing, seven digits. So you can probably, everybody can probably easily remember seven. And then, you know, I wonder what, I wonder what that number is before you're like, man, this is excessive. Like, I wonder how many Peyton Manning had. Peyton Manning had to have 30, right? At least. He had to have had 30. Yeah, he, that's like if, if, if Aaron Rodgers had 30, Peyton Manning had to have 50 because it, it was Peyton Manning. You wonder how that whole situation was uh, figured out as well. And then, I mean, man, there's so much interesting stuff there from what his offense was in Indy and then him going into Denver and basically taking over the offense there and winning the Super Bowl despite not being – like he got benched that season. Like just what an interesting – what an interesting dynamic. The, but the best the best story about you want a quick story about Peyton yeah. Manning. And okay, so you know Peyton Manning literally ran. Like when we say he ran practice, he got the scripts. He's I want this, I want this look, I want this, like I want to run this, I want to do you know, he literally ran the entire practice. Every play was it was okayed by him, every defense was okayed by him. If they didn't run the way he wanted to run it, he'd run it again. It like it was. Just here's the here's what we're doing. You go ahead and run it. I mean, it was absurd. So this is one of our our former players goes down there. I won't name his name, but you'll figure out who it is. And and he goes down there and he's he's on like a doing. A, I'm not sure if he's assistant coaching or is doing like an internship or something. But he wants to think about getting into coaching. He's an offensive line guy. And he and Peyton is running this uh this against this blitz and he's working these different hot routes but what he's doing is not letting the offensive line learn how to pick up the blitz right so because he's yeah. saying like i'll just throw i'll just get the rid of the ball and of course the offensive line is like wait a second we need to learn how to pick up it would be nice if we learned how to do our job regardless right. if you throw the ball away because we don't want to get you killed because if we get you killed we know how this works you get mad at us right so so this guy, this our, our our friend in question goes, you know, he goes, he goes, hey, do you think we could just go ahead and like learn how to pick up the this play right now, in the middle of our our offensive practice, Peyton? And Peyton just kind of looked at him, you know, went, you know, went about his business. And uh, I, I guess at the end of the day, they're like, yeah, man, you're out here. <laughs> oh man, that is unbelievable. <laughs> wow. I I, I've heard that story. I've, that's a secondhand story. So I, you know, obviously I wasn't there, but <laughs> it certainly doesn't that's sound unbelievable. Doesn't sound that's unbelievable at all. Are you surprised he doesn't uh, coach or do anything on that side of things with how meticulous he was? I, well, it's just like we talked about, man. I, I just don't think, I think it would be very difficult for him to, first of all, he's making a ton of money doing what he, you know, he's having so much, it looks like he's having so much fun. Yes, right? he does. And the hours are crazy and everything. I don't know. I mean, imagine imagine the level. I mean, Peyton Manning had his own staff. So I had I was with Adam Gase when Adam Gase was head coach of Miami, yep. and Adam would talk about when he learned from Peyton, and it was like, look, I, I'm not going to coach Peyton Manning, but I learned how to. He's like he just said, I learned how to work my ass off because like I had to know at least as much as he knew, and he had a whole group of people running film for him and everything. You know, on by the time he showed up on Wednesday, he knew the whole offense. Or Tuesday, they really could a game plan, and so. I it's it's hard because when you're at that level and you're doing every it's like it would be like asking Michael Jordan or like Magic Johnson couldn't coach the Lakers remember yeah and why can't he coach him well it's like you're not up to you don't play as hard as I want you to play as hard as I'm willing to play and it's it's really hard I think for fans to understand this but it's it's true it's true in every endeavor in life like there are just certain even if you ascend to the high what you is perceived as the highest level of sport 
there's a lot of guys who aren't really willing to be the best version of themselves. Like they really don't want to. They just they like the lifestyle. This was easy for them. They're willing to put in put in enough work, but they're not willing to put in. They're not really willing to go all in. And I can't like I don't know how he would ever be able to to deal with those guys. Honestly, that's a really good point. And you know that TV money is not too bad either. Mike, thanks as always. Greatly appreciate you. This is one of my favorite conversations I think we've had. Uh, where can we follow your work and where can we find you on Twitter and social media? Yeah, uh, check me out, MikeWall68 on Twitter, Process to Perform on Instagram, MikeWall68 on TikTok, and then check out uh, youtube.com backslash Process to Perform, our Process to Perform channel. Man, I'm doing a, we're doing a ton of content on there now. It's on my blog podcast there, is there now. And then also I've been doing block party stuff with offensive line, defensive line breakdown for the last couple of weeks that I think, I mean, I'm biased, but it's some of the best stuff I've done. So I'm excited about that as well. It's so freaking good. If you're not checking it out, please make sure to do so. Again, you can follow Mike on Twitter at MikeWall68. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. And of course, you can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. That does it for us today. We'll be back next week. I'll be right back here tomorrow. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.